Hey guys, this is Pastor Wes with Boulevard Church. I am so excited to metaphorically, metaphysically, and theoretically see you today. Um, but for real, I miss you guys. I'm going crazy. I'm stuck here with Cody, and it's just... Anyway, so we've been going over a series on why the church is so important and why it's really important that we like each other and we love each other and we want to hang out with each other. Uh, no, but uh, since the beginning of this year, Boulevard Church has started a series. Um, it's been a year-long series, or at least it will be by the time it's done, on the three pillars of our church. Uh, we've been saying that the year 2020 will be a year of vision because of that really cheesy Christianese thing where it's like, oh, we're going to have 2020 vision. You know, and then 2020 got canceled and here we are in a living room talking about Jesus. Um, but regardless, it still gives us the opportunity to talk about the three pillars of our church. What are the three things that Boulevard Church we built on? And not only that, you guys who have been here with me know that I believe we should build our personal lives, our families, and our relationships on these three things as well. And what are they? What do you ask? Dogs are barking outside. You probably can't hear them, but I can hear them, and I get distracted easily. But but thank you for asking. What are the three things um, that um, we have been doing? What are our three pillars? Well, pillar one is your personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, we believe Boulevard Church exists to bring you closer to Jesus and closer in your relationship with God, but also that your personal life should be first focused on your relationship with God. Secondly, uh, we, we've been talking about community. We believe Boulevard Church exists to be a community of like-minded people pursuing Jesus, encouraging each other, building each other up, building each other up, and propelling each other to walk in their destinies. And so we also believe that in your personal life, your relationship with your community is vastly important. And lastly is evangelism. Uh, we believe that Boulevard Church exists to re reach the lost and the broken, feed those in need, clothe those in need, house those in need, preach the gospel to people who don't know Jesus, we believe we exist to do that. And in that stance, all of us Christians in our day-to-day -day lives, we should be evangelizing actually every single day of the week. The Bible says that they would do this kind of thing daily. Um, and so I think we should as well. Uh, but with that kind of thought, we want to be a church that doesn't just talk about it. We want to be a church that does these things. And right now, uh, we are spending time for the next few more months on our second pillar, which is um, your personal relationship with your local church. All right, Why is it important to be a part of a church? What does being a part of a church do? How does it affect the city? How does it affect you? How does it affect your walk with God? Uh, we've been really diving into that. So if you haven't heard any message on the topic, I would encourage you to go back. It's on our YouTube. Um, and you could also scroll back on Facebook, but that's not as fun as just going to YouTube and subscribing because we need it. Oh, and if you haven't shared this message, please do. Um, but I'm going to talk to you guys briefly for the next four hours and 45 minutes on the top. I'm just kidding. Um, but like 45 minutes probably, but hopefully not that much um, on the topic. And, and again, we've been calling this series on the church. We've been calling it Heart for the House. And so in our Heart for the House series, I'm calling this message, Here Comes the Dreamers. Um, and so you guys say it after me. Here comes the dreamers. Here comes, Here the, comes dreamers. the dreamers. Amelia didn't say it, so now she has to say it. Amelia? Here comes the dreamers. And now all of you guys that didn't say it, say it. I can't, I can't hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, pretending to be live, like pretending to be in person is not working well. I feel awkward every time, but I keep making the dumb joke because it, just, it demands me to make it. Um, but the message is going to be called, Here Comes the Dreamers. And really, it's just a talk on hope. It's just a talk on what happens when a church comes together and really hopes for big things, really believes for big things, and really has visions and dreams 
for the future. And so with that, we're going to go all the way back to the very back of our Bibles or very front of our Bibles. If you got your Bible, flip to it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so you get to it, you flip to the table of contents, and then you just go like one or two more pages right. You're going to be in Genesis. Go to the 37th chapter. We'll be talking about Joseph, who was the son of Jacob. Um, but in this book, in this section, they're going to be calling Jacob Israel. So when you hear me say Israel, I mean Jacob. Israel right now is not a nation. It is a person who was named that by God. Um, and so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, and we're going to read to verse 19. So if you got your Bibles, please bring them out. If you don't got your Bibles, um, don't worry. We're going to bring you a Bible. Um, but regardless, it's hot in here. And I love you guys. So Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 to 19. Uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. That won't preach, but we're about to make it preach. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. I mean, I'm sure this is a familiar story to you guys. You guys have probably heard the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he had told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf, I arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Honestly, he's basically saying, I think God told me you guys are all going to worship or bow before me, right? And so they're a little salty, and they respond, and they say to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He's really dedicated to this dream. Um, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Now his brothers went to pasture, their father's flock near Shechem. Uh, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, a lot of he's and him's, and yeah, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? So Joseph says, I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, were they pasturing the f where they are pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. A lot of fancy words, and I don't do geography well, so I don't know where any of this is. Um, so Joseph went over, went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They said from afar, before he came near to them, uh, oh, sorry, they saw him from afar, and before they came near to them, before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And ready, verse 19 says, And they said to one another, Here comes 
a dreamer. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, before I pray, uh, I want to say one more thing really quick. This part of the story, I I'm going to go into it a bit in the sermon, so I just want to tell you it instead of reading it to you. Um, his brothers are going to beat Joseph. Uh, they're going to sell him into slavery, and Joseph is going to be a good slave. He's going to work hard, and he's going to become someone that his master trusts. So his master is going to give him responsibility and position. Now, unfortunately, his master named Potiphar, Potiphar's wife is going to think that Joseph is a handsome young stallion and he is going to, she's going to try to sleep with him so Joseph um, ran from her and in her fear so that she wouldn't get in trouble for what she did to Joseph she said that he tried to rape her so Joseph gets thrown into prison while he's in prison he becomes one of the most faithful jailers or sorry one of the most faithful prisoners um, helping the jailers um, helping keeping people encouraged and really just being a good um, good person and so the jailer begins to elevate him and trust him. And then eventually, um, the king's going to hear about him. Joseph is going to translate a dream for the king or the pharaoh, and the pharaoh's going to put Joseph second over everything. The reason why that's so important is because we're going to talk about hope today. And the thing that I really want to point out is that in our personal lives, I think it's so easy for us to lose hope. We don't realize we've lost hope, but if you use words like apathetic, that's hopelessness. Um, and I'll, I'll prove that biblically a little bit later. If you use phrases like, man, I've just been so tired lately. Um, a lot of depression can be um, tied to hopelessness. Um, hopelessness is something that we don't realize its effect in our lives until we become too tired, um, too mentally not there, too apathetic, too afraid, too worried to go and do the things that God has called us to do. And so I want to say, Joseph, after being beaten by his brothers, sold into slavery, um, betrayed by the person who owned him, and thrown in jail, how did he hold his hope through all of these things? He continued to be faithful, he continued to be strong, and he continued to be a good example of someone who trusts God for great things. And so I want to ask that question and ask us, how can we be a community of people who trust God? for big things. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. That I pray that we'd be dreamers. I pray that we would hope. I pray that we'd be a church that would see big things for the future, God. I pray that all of us together as a community uh, would really just form as one and really, God, believe that you have big things for us as individuals, but most importantly for us as a church. God, I thank you for Boulevard Church. I thank you that it can be a place where the dreamers can find a place to see their dreams fulfilled. I thank you, God, that you're moving. I thank you that you're awesome, and I thank you that you're with us, God. Um, I thank you that my wife is hot, and in Jesus' name I say, amen. I'm going to take a drink of water. as the prophecy foretold. And then I'm going to talk to you guys about something. So I used to be, I used to work in kids ministry, right? Um, I, I started off in a, a classroom. We called it E2, um, which I think meant elementary two. I don't actually know. I didn't, uh, I didn't make the decision. I was just to told to teach it. Um, and so what I did was I taught fifth and sixth graders. So I was teaching about 11 and 12 year olds typically. And we had a small classroom and we really begin to dive down and dive in. Now, I love kids ministry. It's still actually my favorite ministry. Kids and youth are like just my favorite group of people. And so all of you adults that are listening to me right now, I love you, but kids ministry is better. Um, but, you know, don't be offended by that, but kids ministry is better. And that's just a fact. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Amen. Th thank you, Cody.
Yeah, they're lying because they're all adults. Um, but so I'm in this kids ministry, and we started teaching these kids, and I, we would I would do things to keep the kids involved. And I had like a memory verse, and every we do a month long series in brackets, and I'd be like, okay, so at the end of the series, if you if you know the memory verse, we'll do dodgeball, we'll have a party or something, right? And so all of our kids love dodgeball, and so basically that all of the kids really buckled down and learned their memory verse every month, and we played dodgeball every freaking month. It was awesome, right? And so what would happen as we're playing dodgeball, um, they would play and the kids would always ask me to come play. And I would always say, no. Wanna know why? I am very competitive and I will smash an 11 year old to prove my dominance as a dodgeball player. I know that about myself. I know that's not a godly thing, but I know it's a true thing. Um, and so I just choose not to play dodgeball, right? Because I just feel bad for Titus. Like he's gonna play games for me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slam him, right? We're gonna play basketball and I'm gonna dunk on that kid. Like I'm so excited to get the little plastic basketball thing and play with my son and take his foam ball and just dunk it over his head again and again. Like I'm really excited for these things. Um, it's going to be awesome. So, But I knew this about myself. And I would sit down and they'd be like, oh, uh, Wesley, come join us. Come play the game with us. And I'd be like, well, they call me Mr. Wesley or Mr. Wes. That's what they would call me. Um, so Mr. West, come play the game with us. And I'd be like, no, it's okay. I'm going to smash y'all. Like, this isn't good. I would destroy you guys. It wouldn't even be a competition, right? Um so the kids started really taking that as a challenge. And over the months, uh, they would begin to challenge me a little bit more, calling me a chicken, which I'm not a chicken, all right? I am not a chicken. And so they would get into my head playing these like little sixth, fifth, fifth, sixth grader mind games, right? Calling me a chicken, calling me a poop nose, saying that I, I ain't got nothing. I'd be like, okay, look, look, <laughs> ain't no one's a poop nose in this place, right? And so I'm getting built up. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna destroy these kids. And so finally, one kid said, I forget what he said to be honest, but if I could remember, I would tell you. Uh, he said something to me, I don't know, something about it, I was like, that's it, I'm gonna destroy this kid. And I went into the dodgeball arena, and just as I suspected, it was a massacre. I was getting kids, I was catching the ball, boom, slammed them all down. And I looked at them in just this powerful dominant, I was so excited, right? Um, I am the dodgeball champion. I went and bought a trophy, and every time we play dodgeball, I come and I'd sit with it and let them know that I was the champion. I'm just kidding, I didn't really do that. Um, but uh, what would begin to happen is uh, they, they'd forget. Time would disappear, and they'd be like, we could beat you this time. And I'd be like, okay. And then I'd come, and I'd just do laps around these kids, right? It was just fantastic. Um, I should really work on that. That's probably not a godly thing, but I'm, like, hyper-competitive. Um, and But we got to a point, eventually, where the kids stopped wanting me to play because they knew I was not going to go easy on them. And uh, I remember one week, one team was losing really bad. Like I let them do team captains and one kid like picked all the girls and one team kid like all the boys. And, and you know, I'm not here to make claims about the sexes and stuff, but in sixth grade, the sixth grade boys were decimating the girls. It was ridiculous. It was kind of funny. And um, they were getting really upset. And so finally one of the girls goes, can you help our team? And so when I walked out, a bunch of the boys on the other side just stopped playing. <laughs> Why? I had beaten them down so much that they had lost their hope. They no longer believed they could beat me. And that was just the way I wanted it.
Well, so we can pray. We can end this sermon now. I'm going to pray. Stop. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but really, that was a problem. It was a real thing, and, uh, and God is good. I feel bad for Titus, um, but it's okay. That's, that's not your guys' problem. That's Titus's problem. Uh, but the competition was so real, but it was so interesting watching us get to the place where the kids would make fun of me. Uh, they would try to get me to come in, try to really challenge me. And then eventually, they didn't want to challenge me anymore. Uh, you, you watched as they got more and more beat down, the less they believed they could beat me. Um, and I think we do that in real life sometimes. I, I know that's like a really downer of a story. Uh, this is like, and I defeated all the sixth graders because I am man, hear me roar. Like, you know, like it, even with my high-pitched voice, I still would just dunk on these kids. Uh, it doesn't really count as dunk if it's a dodgeball, but I would just throw the ball and that would be it. Um, but they would lose their hope. And, and so what's really interesting is we're talking about here comes the dreamers. And I want to say this, uh, what is a dream? A dream is hope. Um, a dream, and I know with Joseph, he actually had a physical dream. Like, phys- okay, dreams aren't physical. He actually had like a real dream. But what he did is he held, he held on to those dreams. He believed he was going to be something great because God gave him dreams about his greatness. And he held on to them as a sure thing. And so what Joseph did is no matter how much life beat him down, he never lost track of the hope that was in him. And so I wanted to find hope for you guys. Uh, so in the Hebrew, um, hope is the word batach. There's multiple words for hope, but this one I feel like really gets across what we're talking about today. And that means confidence, security, and being without care. Or the Greek word for hope is elpis el- or elpizo, allegedly. And uh, that means trust or hope. And so what I find so interesting about those words is I see most modern scholars, they really define the word hope like this. They say hope is a confident expectation. So actually, if you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, like God's watching you, you know. Uh, but if you are taking notes, God's also watching you. And he's, he's pleased uh, with his good and faithful servants. Um, but just write down hope is a confident expectation. I'm really excited because Amelia and Christine are going to put it right down here so you can see it because really that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about hope being a confident expectation because isn't it interesting um, that we tend to define the word hope in a way that doesn't mean hope And, and think about the way that you use hope in your modern language. We say things like, oh man, I hope he's okay. Or we say, man, I hope he comes home on time, or I hope she's home soon, or I hope she understood me, or I hope they knew what I was talking about. Isn't it weird that in our modern language, we tend to use hope as in, man, I would like this to happen, but it might not. Does that sound like confidence? Oh, I hope not. Does that sound like security? Man, I hope they're okay. Right? Like, that's not the biblical understanding of the word hope. I believe in our modern English, we've really dumbed down the phrase. We've used hope as something that actually is hopeless. We tend to say things with the word hope in it that don't have hope at all. Um, because I guess to take those phrases that I used, because I wrote this down, like the biblical definition of I hope he's okay would be I know that he'll be okay. Right? That, saying I know they'll be okay is actually what the Bible means by hope. 
um, they'll definitely be home on time. She's smart. I'm sure she understood me, right? Like these lame little phrases, forgive me for being so, um, maybe so trivial with them, but that's, that's my concept is I really believe we don't understand what hope means anymore. And it means confidence and security, being without care or trusting. It is a confident expectation. And so when you take hope, you understand that hope and dreams with God are very similar. A dream is this thing that I know God has called me to do it. And I think it's so easy for us to get beat down, so easy for us to get beat up, so easy for us to lose track of the big dreams God has for us. We stop believing the prophecies maybe someone's spoken over us. We stop living the life that will lead to the dream that God put on our hearts. We give up on our businesses. We give up on our marriages. We give up on our responsibilities. We give up on our jobs. We give up on, who knows what we're giving up on, but it's because we stopped dreaming. We stopped believing big things for what we're doing. We stopped having hope. And G.K. Chesterton says something really, really cool. Um, he says this, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. So why is that important to what I'm saying? Well, that's why we tell our kids bedtime stories at night, isn't it? We tell them the story of the knight beating a dragon the prince saving the princess, right? That one didn't age very well because of, you know, but the prince saving the princess. We tell stories of good overcoming evil. We tell our kids these stories and they dream and they imagine and they get excited and they believe big things. But then for some reason along the way, we stop believing those big things ourselves. Whether it's because life beats us down, whether it's because we get disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I don't know what it is in your life, but eventually when we start using phrases like, well, let's be realistic, we stopped believing big things with God, which means we lost our hope, which means we no longer dream. I love the old saying, be realistic, expect a miracle. And I've said this before, that if you are a Christian, the most realistic thing you can do is expect God to move because God loves you. Um, I was watching uh, the Marvel movies recently, and I was struck by something. I, you know how long it's been since I watched a movie and I was like inspired? I was like, oh my God, like, like I can take over the world. Like I don't know if you ever read a book or watched a movie or someone told you a story or you hear about something someone went through and like your mind starts racing and you're like, you get so inspired, like you can take over the world, like you can do anything. Has it ever happened to you, Cody? Yeah, it has. It happened to me while watching Marvel. I was watching Endgame, and I was watching... Uh, so spoilers, by the way, like heck of spoilers. Um, if you haven't watched Endgame, you're way late to the party, and this is your fault. You shouldn't click off. You should listen to this because you, you shouldn't watch it now. Right. Um, so Thanos is this big bad guy, right? The, 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 they made multiple movies. How many movies was Like 14 or 15 building up to this bad guy? And uh, when he finally shows up, he kills a lot of people. He's very successful at it. And, and so uh, we get kind of our, our three main heroes, which is Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. And you can debate that the other heroes are main heroes too, but not in this movie. Uh, this first phase was really building up these three heroes and their stories, particularly Iron Man and Captain America, but Thor was there too. 
But I love that, that these three characters, they finally face off against Thanos, right? And you, you, I was in the theater. I was so pumped. I was like, oh, man, that's what we've been waiting for. And what I watched was I watched Thanos completely obliterate all three of these big heroes. We're building them up. Captain America's the man. He's going to oh, oh, he got beat. Okay. Well, we got Thor in. Okay, no, he's down. Well, well Iron Man's going to... Oh, Iron Man's down? Okay, so we just lost, right? And then Captain America does this thing where he picks up Thor's hammer, and you get excited. You're like, yeah, let's do it. And then he loses again, and you're like, oh, well, dang it. And uh, uh, it's a moment of extreme loss. It's a moment of extreme defeat. It's a moment of extreme overcoming where the enemy overcomes good. Where it looks like, right, classical story, it looks like darkness is about to overcome light. It looks like the bad guy is about to be the good guy. And so Thanos gets a bit injured in the fight, so he backs up a little bit, and Thanos has an entire army show up. And this is what really inspired me. It was the weirdest moment where like, I was watching this movie and in my mind I was like, I could do anything. <laughs> like, you know, I could fly right now. Like I could, I could become a fire truck if I wanted to be. Like I just had like this extreme faith and, and here's what created it. All the characters are beat down and beat up and you watch in this movie as, as Captain America gets up. He, he all beat up. He's all jacked. His armor's all ripped. Someone said his arm might be broken. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I haven't looked into it, right? His shield, the unbreakable shield got broken in half. And Iron Man gets up. He, not Iron Man, Captain America. He gets up. He looks down at all of his defeated allies. He is all alone in this battlefield for the earth, right? He is by himself. And the guy who beat up him and his two toughest friends by himself is now standing there with a whole army. And Captain America tightens his shield and he walks forward to take on the army all by himself. Like, y'all, that's what a hero is. When I watched that, I was like, I got chills. I was like, oh my God, like this, oh my God, I want to be Captain America when I grow up. Like, I haven't thought I want to be a superhero when I grow up in so long. And then suddenly, Steve Rogers with the jacked up body, broken shield is walking towards, because he's a hero and he's not going to go down without a fight. And I was like, oh my, I can do anything. Like, I, I, could, become an, I could become a butterfly and fly to wherever. Like, I could do anything. I could be anyone. I could do anything and I was filled with so much wonder and I was like man I haven't felt this excited in a long time I left the movie theater actually encouraged that I could do the things that I felt called to do it was a weird moment I don't know if you've ever had those moments those moments that spark you to dream again um, but it's that thing that blows my mind is we lose track of it so quickly. We lose sight of it so quickly, which doesn't make sense to me because it even happens in my own life because don't we have the greatest bedtime story even as adults? Our story is that Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave by himself for us, filled us with the fullness of who he is, has a plan, has a purpose, has a calling for us specifically and us conglomerately. He has this crazy thing that we can say that the gates of hell cannot overcome us. There is nothing in my life that can overcome Christ in me. We believe it. We talk about it. We preach it. But then when it comes to applying it in the little moments, maybe we don't believe it anymore. Maybe we feel beat up like those children that I completely destroyed in dodgeball. 
But it's important when we're in those moments to respond like Steve Rogers, Captain America. You get up and you keep walking forward because we serve a God that overcomes. The Bible says that all good things come from him who is above, which means the father of lights, which means that those good things God has for us. You guys know me, I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I do wanna tell you that God has a calling for you. And there is nothing in this world that can get in the way of God's plan for your life. And in that sense, I'll say name it and claim it. You claim that, that, that prophecy over your life those things you believe that God has called you to do and who he's called you to be, it's time to start claiming those things and walking in those things and truly, genuinely believing in them because the Bible equates it to believing in Jesus. You can't say you believe in Jesus if you don't believe that he's going to guide your path. You can't say that God is with you if every time something falls apart, you believe now that God has forsaken you. No, God is with you in the ups and in the downs, and it's time to keep walking. And so I want to just say four quick things. Where are we at on time? Is it on the top? 27 minutes, cool. So hopefully uh, for the next, let's say it's about 10 minutes, I got four points I want to give you guys. Um, and I want to look at Joseph. I want to look at four points in the story that we read and, and, and really address maybe just four observations on hope that I see in this particular story. Ready? The first thing I see is that Israel preferred Joseph. How do we apply that to our lives? So Joseph had 12 brothers and sisters, or he was one of 12 brothers and sisters one of the two, um, he had a big group of siblings and he was the favorite. What's so interesting about that is, don't you think, why was Joseph so courageous to continue to believe that big dream over his life? Do you know that the statistics tell us that when families stay together, when a father's in the home with a son, uh, the child is more likely to uh, get better grades in school, the child's more likely to have a better career, the child's more likely to, um, is more likely to not actually have jail time. They're less likely to uh, abuse alcohol. Now, I'm not saying that everyone works like this, right? Because I know people with dads in their homes that have failed in all those areas. But statistically speaking, having a father in the home actually does more for a child uh, than we would be led to believe. There's something about the love of that kind of authority figure and the encouragement from authority figures that really keep people going. And so Joseph was favored by his dad. And so because his dad poured this exuberant amount of favor by the way an ungodly amount of favor compared to his other siblings because he he showed favoritisms like god doesn't show favoritism but it really built up this courage in joseph um it's easy if your dad always tells you you're the greatest to believe that you'll rule the world someday right because it's what you've heard your whole life and at the time um, egypt was the powerhouse of the world and so joseph has a dream that he is going to be bowed down to by all of his family and he can believe it's possible because his dad has already showed him such a great amount of favor so i want to ask you what does that mean for us as christians who become children of god the reason why people can hope is our hope is found in Jesus. The Bible says that. The Bible says that our hope is found in Jesus. Uh, God the Father is a good, good Father. He is a better Father to us than even the best Father in the world can be. These are things we know. These are things we say, but I don't know if we believe them because a part of the reason why we quit hoping is because maybe we don't necessarily believe that God will do something big with us. I used to really struggle with my position even as a lead pastor 
pastor and say like, man, I don't deserve this. I'm so young. But then I had to erase that from my vocabulary. The reason why I had to is because I was denying the favor, position, and love of God. And I wasn't allowing my faith in God to help me walk through what I'm doing now. And I would say that all of us are in that same position. I want to read you a quote by J. Oswald Sanders. Um, It is, a man will work harder to recover diamonds than gravel. Why? Because they are of much greater value, right? That makes sense. If someone said dig for an hour to get a bunch of dirt or dig for an hour to get some diamonds, which would you dig for an hour for? the diamonds, right? Because they're worth something. Um, And so, so with the souls of men, Christ conceived the human soul to be of such transcendent value that he gladly exchanged the shining courts of glory for a life of poverty, suffering, shame, and death. Rather than that it, um, sorry, rather than that it should perish, he placed the world and all it could offer on one scale and the human soul on the other and declared that the scale went down on the side of the soul. Jesus Christ was in the courts of glory. He was in perfection. He was in this place of such great peace and amazingness that we can't even fathom it, the Bible says. And he left it for us. Why? Because you are so freaking loved by God that he would get, he exchanged his son. He exchanged the courts of glory. He exchanged all of this for us. We have to really get into our heads and really identify ourselves by the love of God. Because if we don't, we stop hoping. But if we really believe that we are the favored people of God, which we are, then we don't have to compete with each other. We don't have to feel insecure about our position. We can be excited and really believe that God has more and bigger things for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. From Christina. Can I get an amen? One more time for Christina. Amen. Yeah. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? God is good. Does God love you? Yes, he does. you got to walk in that hope in the moments where you want to forget. You've got to cling on to that. There is no amount of bad you can do that can erase the cross. You're just loved. You're just cared for. There is nothing you can do about it. So you might as well just embrace it and have a party, right? Prodigal son, embrace it, had a party. Okay, it's fine. Um, next thing I saw uh, with Joseph is I saw that Joseph was bold in his hope. I have heard people tell this story. I've heard them preach this sermon. You might have heard people preach from this section of scripture. And they'll get to the point where Joseph told the story of his dream. And they'll say something like this. You can't tell your dream to everyone. You can't talk about your hope to everyone because people will cut it down. And they'll try to teach Christians to not be excited about the hope within them. But I actually want to erase that. I want to say I think that's bad teaching. I think that's not very biblical. I think Christians should be the most excited about the hope within us. I think we should talk the most about where God's taking us. I think we should dream big, and we should dream big together. And we should dream big as churches and as small groups and as communities. We shouldn't just keep our dreams to ourselves because someone might say something bad about it. We should actually talk loud and talk proud about it, right? Joseph went to his brothers and said, Yo, I had a dream you guys were bowing to me, right? He had a boldness about it. And I love this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love that. Now, what the, the hope he's talking about is Jesus, right? Which is the same hope 
we have. We have hope. We have Jesus. And so we are bold about our dreams, about what God has called us to do. I believe Boulevard Church, heck, let's just say it, right? Let's put it where it's at. I believe our church will be a mega church. I believe we'll be a church of actual influence in the city so that we can create change and actually produce unity. I believe we'll become a, um, a, a pantry and be able to feed the lost day in and day out. I believe we'll be that way. I believe we'll have people on the streets every day of the week praying, uh, prophesying, evangelizing, talking about church. I believe we'll have services not just in a building but at parks. I believe we'll actually be able to impact the city for good. I believe we'll see crime rates go down directly because of our touch this church has had in this city. And you know what? I am tired of not talking about those things and I think it's time we talk about them again. I think it's time that we dream big again. What do you want to see your church do? What do you want to see your church be? Well, let's get together. Let's link arms and let's go and let's do it. And because we have such a great hope, we know that Jesus wants his church to overtake the city so we can be bold about it because we know that our God wants it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I'm like having these people in the room. I'm going to keep this going. Um, Right? But here's the next thing. Defending your hope. Again, people will tell you, don't talk about your hope. Don't talk about your dreams because people will badmouth them and discourage you. But the Bible says to be bold about your hope. And it also says to defend your hope. How can you defend a hope if you haven't told anyone about it? That's ridiculous. See, Joseph, after his brothers said to him, shut up, you're wrong. He had a dream and came back and he told him again why he was defending it. He was hard-headed about the hope in him. He was hard-headed about the dream that God had given him. And I think we have to be hard-headed about the dreams that God has given us. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. He is clearly talking about your belief in Jesus. But how many times have you heard the sermon preached where if you really walk like you believed in Jesus, there would be something different about you. People would look to you and go, man, what's so different about you, right? You know why people don't say that to the average Christian nowadays? Because we don't have hope. We don't actually do big things. We don't actually overly commit ourselves. We're not actually more respectful and more gentle and better workers and more faithful and more encouraging. We're not actually those things anymore like we used to be. But I think it's time to bring it back, start talking about those big dreams again, start acting out those big dreams again, and that way we can start having conversations with people about why it is that we dream big, defending our dreams. When people try to come to you and say, nope, that dream's ridiculous, that dream's stupid, you can be like, well, with gentleness and respect, let me tell you why I believe God's going to do this in my life, to defend it, not just with your words, but with your actions as well, and not just with your actions, but with your words as well. Amen. And my last hope, my last, my last hope, uh, my last little point. It is hot. My last little point is this. We have to hold on to our hope and we have to be defined by it. See, Joseph never gave up hope. He never gave up his hope and he never gave up being excellent his entire journey. When Joseph was sold into slavery, he was the most excellent slave this guy owned. Why? Because there was a hope in him. Something in him transcended even the love of his father. And it started becoming to transcend to the love of his heavenly father. He believed in God's dream for his life. And so when this man, his wife tries to sleep with him, Joseph says, I will not sleep with you. 
um, because your master, my master has been so good to me and he runs out the door naked. He would have rather looked ridiculous than to give in and not be excellent and not be godly, right? So he runs out naked and he gets put in prison. Now for us, I did all the right things. I did all the right things. I did everything right. And here I am in jail now. And I think many of us would want to quit right there. But what does Joseph do? He is the most respectful, the most hardworking, and the most committed prisoner in that entire jail. So much so that the guards have favor on him and let him start leading in the prison cell. And that kind of excellence catches the ear. It catches the ear of the king, the pharaoh. And what the pharaoh does is he calls in Joseph. Uh, there's more to the story, but just for shorthand. And Joseph translates a dream. Here's what I love about this. Joseph has never translated a dream before. Pharaoh basically says, hey, can you translate this dream? And, and Joseph says, yeah, my God is a God of dreams. Why couldn't he translate this one as well, right? So he had never translated a dream before, but he did it in that moment because he knew how big his God was and he was more confident in God's ability to do the impossible than he was in, in his ability and his past and prior circumstances because he held on to his hope and he defined himself by his hope. God's called me to be great. I'm before the king. The king wants me to translate a dream. God must want me to translate this dream I believe these years holding firm to this hope of what God has called on my life and so he speaks these dreams he can he does this and he becomes second over all of Egypt and he never loses that power all of his life he went through hell to get there but once he was there he never let go of that hope he remained faithful and loving you know what's so interesting is when Joseph was dying Joseph says to his people, you make sure you take my bones to the promised land. Because Joseph believed in God. Even at the end of his life, he always had hope. He knew that God was going to give a promised land to his people, and he wanted his bones there. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 to 19 says this, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before this. Ready? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner courts, um, in the inner place, behind the curtain. That could sound like a lot of stuff. Let's just read 19 again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. What is the anchor of our soul? It is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What is that? That is Jesus. That is what Jesus did for us. That is his Holy Spirit within us, right? We have the anchor of our soul isn't actually Jesus. The anchor of our soul is the hope we have in Jesus. Isn't that interesting? We teach the anchor of my soul. Oh, that's Jesus. Kind of, 99% true, but what's the 1% that's missing? It's the hope in Jesus. The anchor of my soul is that I hope that God will do things. And again, not this hope of like, oh, I really hope God pays my bills this month. Of No, because of the hope in me, I know that God will pay my bills this month. I know that the calling on my life will come to pass because of the hope in me. I'm not just holding on to hope. I'm defined by hope. I'm anchored to hope. And I won't lose track of what God has for me because there's too much hope in me. I'm dreaming too big and you can't bring me down. Amen? Amen. 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 I love you guys. I hope you break into your small groups and really talk about what it means to really be favored by God, to really be bold about your hope, to really defend your hope, 
and to really hold on to and be defined by the hope that is in you. Remember what 1 Timothy 1.1 says. Paul says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ, our hope. Um, at the end of the day, all of our hope is found in Jesus. And the reason why I know Boulevard Church will succeed is because we're a church that wants to please Jesus. The reason why I know Boulevard Church is going to do big things is because I know the will of God. I know God wants a city to be shaken. I know he wants his message to be preached. He wants it to be repentance as people turn and become a part of the kingdom. For it is will of God that all men will be saved and come unto repentance. And because I know that and because Christ is my hope, I take that truth to our church and I say we will be effective and we will change this city because it is the will of our God and so therefore it's the will of our church. I don't just hope it, I believe it, but it's the exact same thing. <laughs> I love you guys. I pray your day is blessed. I pray you guys get into small groups right now and just talk to each other about the hopes you have about our church and about your personal life. Have a blessed week.